and this is AFL Obsessed. You guys, remember when there was a time we were worried we might not have footy in our lives for the season? Now I feel like we've done a complete 180 and there's going to be more footy than we ever knew we wanted. So starting from July 29th, in what's being referred to as a fixture bonanza, there will be 19 consecutive days of footy, which is just what an obsessed person needs. So 33 matches will be played across those days as part of the AFL's plans to fast track the completion of the home and away season. And I guess six clubs will have buys during that period, with another 10 clubs to have a buy before the conclusion of the home and away season at round 17. And Essendon and Melbourne will play that entire time because they have the postponed match from round three. So assuming they will have that game in lieu of a buy, and I feel like I'm going to have to plan my sleeps so I'll be able to get any rest during that time. But before we get to everything else, I just want to say thank you guys so much for listening. You're such an important part of this podcast, and I appreciate all of you expressing what you're into, what you want to hear more of, and really for writing it all. I love seeing your messages, and you guys know that have written me that I do respond. And when I started this podcast at the end of October last year, I wasn't sure anyone would be interested in an American perspective on Aussie rules. So whether you've been watching your entire lives or only recently becoming familiar with footy, thank you so much for listening and sharing your love of the sport with me. I can't believe we reached over 5,000 downloads worldwide last weekend, and it's all because of you. So please keep telling me what you want to hear. And if you have any questions you'd like me to answer in any future episodes, my email is aflfootyobsessed at gmail and aflobsessed on Twitter if you want to DM me. Now let's get to it and dive into the opening overture of my overall thoughts on the week and where NYC is now. So some news, sadly, Representative John Lewis passed away last weekend. He was an American politician who served in the House of Representatives until his death. And he was also a civil rights leader who marched in Selma and just a courageous American hero. And he's known as one of the most liberal congressmen to have represented a district in the Deep South and a luminary in the country. And RBG, our beloved Supreme Court Justice, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, was hospitalized and is now undergoing chemo for a recurrence of cancer. She's had a lengthy history of medical issues while serving and continues somehow to do her job without interruption. RBG is a national treasure and even cancer can't keep her away from her work. If you haven't seen the documentary RBG, then you really should during quarantine. But as for NYC now, phase four actually starts today in what was initially supposed to be our final phase of reopening, but there's been a bit of a detour. Currently, they're allowing low-risk outdoor arts and entertainment to resume, like zoos and botanical gardens, but at 33% capacity and with mandatory face coverings for everyone. And alongside that, professional sporting events without fans are happening, as well as the resumption of movie and television productions, which are really important for our city. My boyfriend Andrew and I have been out for walks, and it seems like after this last weekend, people are kind of just over the restrictions. So hopefully we'll be able to continue to stay healthy and safe, because I'm definitely worried about what the upcoming seasons will look like here in the city. 
But now on to Act 1 with the game wrap-ups for Round 7. For the Cats vs. Magpies game, first of all, this game felt as close to pre-COVID as I felt like it could with 22,077 people at Optus Stadium in Perth at the game. And this was a very close game until the last two minutes. So rewind though, Dagoe played his first game since rejoining the team in the Perth hub. There's been a lot of discussion about whether or not he should even be playing since he's been charged for something from an incident from 2015. And from an outsider's perspective, it was just a bit jarring to hear the hero worship of him during that game and kind of listening to him being celebrated. But from a performance perspective, I mean, he kicked the first and last goals of the game and he delivered five during the game. So he was very much a central part of it. He did finish the game strapped up though, since he injured his finger during the third quarter and he did undergo surgery this weekend. So his future kind of is, I think, TBD. But sadly, Joel Selwood actually went down in the first quarter two of this game, but the Pies won by 22 points. And for the Bombers versus Bulldogs game, ooh, last year's matchup was a bit haunting for this duo, and I was hoping Essendon could rewrite history this time around, but it was a really great back and forth game until the third quarter when the Bulldogs really ran away with the game, and it was clear Essendon was just missing certain key players that could have helped move the ball and create opportunities out of nothing. But I think the highlight was definitely Cody Waitman from the Bulldogs who joined the first kick first goal club with his debut and another amazing goal later in the game. But the Western Bulldogs completely dominated the game and they won by 42 points. As for the Giants versus Lions, I was interested to see who would take this game. Brisbane had an immediate goal and was in control for the entirety of the game. The Lions would open up the scoreboard and the Giants would catch up, but ultimately Brisbane just ran away with the game and won by 20 points. For the Swans versus Suns game, the Suns shine again and they won by 32 points. But the Rising Suns, what a fun team to watch. I know I've talked about them quite a bit, but I genuinely look forward to their games every week. And Isaac Rankin, if we can't have our fave Maddie Rawl, this crew along with Rankin are so exciting to follow. I love watching Rankin and I love watching Stu do watch him too. He literally doesn't even need to get a hand on the ball. Rankin can just still make magic happen. My favorite moment of the game though was something completely different and definitely when Tom Papley jumped over his teammate Will Hayward after he made a goal right on the siren at the end of the third quarter and just hearing it I will never stop loving that moment. corner from 49 that got the full journey didn't hit the line and run through watch Papley go over the top <laughs> this is it folks over the top <laughs> Tommy Papley clearing the pole vault I mean I will never stop loving that moment for the Tigers versus Kangaroos game, Norris took a pounding this game and they didn't score until the last few minutes of the second quarter, which isn't how you want to play a first half of a game. It just felt like a flip book featuring Richmond with all of their players just alternating highlights on display throughout the game. One moment that was particularly scary in the third quarter though, Kyron Hayden raced to intercept a punt from Richmond and he was facing the ball, but he had a collision with Tom Lynch where he fell to the ground and he landed on his head. So Kyron Hayden was knocked out and he had to be lifted off of the field on a stretcher, but somehow he made it back up 
to the bench after chatting with medical staff. So hopefully there's nothing lingering with, you know, maybe concussions and whatnot there. But ultimately, North lost by 54 points. It's their fifth straight loss, so I really feel for you, Ruse. And also, I just hope Kyron is okay because I haven't seen any updates. And last but not least, the Blues versus Power game. Definitely the game of the round, if not the season. I hope everyone that's new to the sport watched this game specifically. There was really skillful ball movement, attack, and intensity throughout that was just so captivating you couldn't take your eyes off the screen for the entire game. This game was a fight and it really looked like Carlton was on the way to winning it, especially in the final quarter when they were ahead and poor Adelaide missed three very easy shots. The last five minutes of the game were so nerve-wracking. I mean, even though my team wasn't even playing, in the end, Carlton was just about to win with three points when Robbie Gray marked the ball and then the final siren went off. So everything was going to be decided basically off of his boot. And Robbie Gray, who they called Robbie Great, with his nerves of steel and ice in his veins, he ended up kicking that with all the pressure and Port Adelaide ended up winning by three points. I have to say, this is the kind of game that makes us all love footy. I know there's been some recent criticism about the shortened quarters and how the game hasn't been as exciting, but both teams scored what most teams do a whole game in just one quarter. And also Eddie Betts kicked his 300th goal. So just everything about the game was great. And I know like Carlton was just feeling that loss right at the end, but they really put up a good fight. But what did you guys think of the round? I'd love to know your thoughts if you want to share through email at aflfootyobsessed at gmail or just aflobsessed on Twitter. Okay, so it's intermission. So quickly during this time, let's just cut away to other sports. There's been proposed training camp dates for the NFL and the training camp will be starting tomorrow. The rookies are supposed to report in tomorrow, quarterbacks and injured players in a couple of days and all other players on the 28th. And that's applicable for all clubs other than Houston and Kansas City. So a lot of big stars from the game have kind of brought up that there's no clear guidance yet on, you know, how the NFL is going to be handling the testing, how often they're going to be doing that. And a lot of them feel like it's not safe yet to start the season. I mean, they want to play, but they also want to be as safe as possible. And, you know, the NFL hasn't been transparent about all of that, or at least communicative about everything. And I'm really wondering how this is all going to go down because they're not hubbing like Aussie footy or basketball. And a number of players have been testing positive for Corona in all sports here. But now we're on to act two, where I do a deep dive into a footy club discussion or an element of footy history. So today I want to talk about the father-son rule a little bit more because it's something I've been interested in since I started watching footy. The AFL has a pretty unique feature that allows teams to draft sons of players who have made a major contribution in the past to the team. So this is something that I know I've mentioned before, but we haven't really talked in depth about it. But in the AFL, a team can select the son of a former player if the father played over a 100 games for the team, 
give or take some other like restrictions and rules, etc. But it's just something I've never heard of in any other sport. And the father-son rule has existed since the late 1940s. If you look on Wikipedia, they have an extensive list of the complete father and son draftees since 1986, when the entry draft was first established in the league. But I bring this up because there was a major milestone achieved over the weekend, and Gary Ablett Jr. and his father, Gary Ablett Sr., became the second father-son duo to reach 600 combined games this last week. They are only the second father-son duo in the comp to achieve that, and I know we've talked about how difficult that is to just reach such a huge milestone for not just individually, but combined due to all of the injuries, recovery times, and buys, and given how long a player really has to play in order to achieve that. And remember the Ablett family tree that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago? So their relatives also got really close. Michael Tuck, who played 426 games for Hawthorne, and his son Shane Tuck, who played 173 games for Richmond, they got so close to that, they actually played 599. So that's another amazing achievement. And there was really sad news too that Shane Tuck actually passed away. So my thoughts go out to your family and friends at this time, and to your extended Ablett family too. But in case you're wondering who holds the record for the first father-son duo, that belongs to none other than Ken Fletcher and Dustin Fletcher for the Bombers, with a combined 664 games. And now for the curtain call and the spotlight segment. In honor of the Bulldogs win on the weekend, I have to throw some beams on Irene Chatfield. I know I mentioned her in the Mighty West, but Irene Chatfield is known as the hero who helped save the Western Bulldogs. And her story is remarkable in so many ways, but widely she's regarded as the face of the campaign that ultimately saved the club in 1989 from a merge with Fitzroy. And she called into the radio and pleaded for fans to join in the fight to save the club from folding or merging at all. And she even put her name on the court documents when they sought an injunction to block the disillusion of the club, which went all the way to the Supreme Court. And if they lost in court, Irene Chatfield would have lost all of her assets. I mean, can you even imagine doing that to save your favorite sports team, just putting everything that you have on the line for them because you just believe believe in them so much and you just have so much heart for the team. I mean, some of her bravery can be shown here. Well, we heard that we needed to raise money. Um, we didn't know it was so diabolical in trouble. Thankfully, Dennis uh, broke the news, Dennis Gallimberti. He said that, you know, the club's in diabolical trouble and that they're going to fold and they're going to merge. And I said, well, we've just got to think of something. And mum said, just go to bed, go to sleep, it's over. So I'm laying there thinking all night and six o'clock in the morning I go and wake mum and dad up to go, hey, got a good idea. And she goes, what about? I said, saving our club. Media gets you into trouble. Media can get us out of trouble. I went over and they go, uh, you're a member? I said, yes, as a paper Catholic, of course I'm a member. And they go, we need someone to stand up and say that they weren't told that they were going to fold. Uh, would you do it? And I said, oh yeah. Nothing to lose, why not? It just made you feel proud to be a bulldog. That's, that, that's all I was. I was just very proud to be a bulldog supporter, but 
proud to be a VFL supporter then, and all supporters helped. It was the proudest moment you could wish for. So to Irene, we applaud you for your efforts, and we say encore for breaking not legs, but ground in the sport and country. And I just have to say again that I am bringing back the Time on Your Story segment, so I want to spotlight all of you. Even though I've mentioned it before, if you want to be a part of the show, you can peep some of the other submissions from the first three minisodes that I did on Time on Your Stories, or you can just email me your story or send a voice note. I'd love to hear how you became obsessed with our favorite sport. But now it's the after show. A shout out to Luke Ryan, who's a Carlton supporter and listener. Thank you guys so much again for listening, for always hanging with me, and for sharing AFL Obsessed with friends you think might like it too. So that's it for me. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. Check on your friends and neighbors. We'll get through this like footy. I'm virtually hugging you, and we'll talk footy soon.